Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. It is the Michael Duke Show uh, streaming live around the world. Hey, uh, it is uh, just another beautiful day. It, it is Tuesday. Tuesday. And we are ready to go. Uh, we've got a big show lined up for you today. It is a, uh, a Tuesday, of course, typically means it is our top three, weekly top three, with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. And we're going to talk about, well, lots of good stuff today, including, whoa, maybe... We got some interesting stuff. We're going to talk about the Alaska legislature's knee-jerk reaction to the spring forecast, including a couple new revenue measures, which uh, we'll be getting into here shortly. Uh, also, how Alaskans uh, are hurting, and some of the uh, and and people are are noticing. I mean, just in case you were wondering, people are noticing. And finally, uh, we will uh, cover. Uh, how some of the Alaska media may actually be get. I mean, they actually reported on some of this stuff. It's kind of, it's kind of weird, man. Kind of weird. Um, then in hour two of the program, we're going to bring our PMA guru on Chris Story. Now, normally, he just gives us some serious life coaching, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Just giving us some life coaching. Uh, but today, uh, last week, he talked about diversifying your. Diversifying your joy, diversifying your focus, diversifying your creativity. Today, he's going to talk with us about diversifying uh, your revenue, your income, and how that may have an effect on your life as well. So it's um, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting, um, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about that. So um, that's uh, that's how the show is going today. Tomorrow on the program, we're expecting to hear from State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, who's uh, going to come on and talk with us about some stuff. And I'm working on a couple other guests as well for this week, uh, including uh, some guests from Reason Magazine to talk a little bit about occupational licensing, which sounds exciting. But it really is. It really has an effect on us, so we're going to talk about that as well um, uh, this week as well. I want to say thank you to our friends at Satellite West. From Satellite West, who helped sponsor the program statewide, we want to say thank you to them. From Nanilchik to Ninana, from Naknik to Nikolsky. It is, uh, it is uh, only through Satellite West that you can remain connected to the rest of the world 
from Adiac to Antioch to Anaktuvik. Wherever you are in the state of Alaska, you want to stay connected via telephone. You want to stay uh, via email, text message. Uh, you just want to surf the Internet. They have got the technology to keep you going. You can find out more about them at SatelliteWest.com. SatelliteWest.com. So thank you so much uh, for uh Sponsoring the program, make sure that you say hi to them. Check out all their dealers on their website and say thanks for sponsoring the uh, the show. The show. It's, uh, it's super, super good stuff. So thank you so much. All right, my friends. Well, what do we got? What do we have today? <laughs> uh, we got some interesting things to talk about this morning, and uh, we're going to go over all that stuff before we break off and start talking to Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, first story, uh, the Alaska State Officers Compensation Commission, uh, which is the board that regulates all the pay. We remember this is the one that's been in the news lately with all the shenanigans after the whole board was either resigned or fired uh, and the governor brought in a new board within less than 20 hours, they had a whole new 67% increase for the legislature and uh, it created a lot of turmoil. Well, there's a brand new bill that deals with some of this. House Bill 140 offered by the Rules Committee is supposed to improve that. The tweaks would bring more transparency and less drama, according to Must Read, although I don't know how much less drama there could be. One change would be that the commission would meet only once every two years and that any changes recommended would not take effect until the next legislature is seated. Now, there's also some timing and deadline changes inside the commission to give the legislature more time to review, and uh, it's a big deal. Now, what I'm hearing... On the on the down on the down low on the down low, what I'm hearing on the down low is that there are some members of the legislature who have been pushing for this legislative pay increase um, because there are people who are working in the legislature and have been working in the legislature for long enough that they are actually defined benefit employees that they were part of the tier one two three. And uh, they are hoping to get this pay raise through so that as they retire, it will push up their high three years of pay to give them a much larger retirement. For those of you who don't know, under the Defined Benefits Program, the Defined Benefits Program takes your highest three years of income, and that's what they factor your retirement off of. So if you were a state employee and, for example, were making $50,400 a year like a legislator, and then in the last three years of your legislative cycle or your employment history, you made $85,000 a year. Well, guess what? You'd make, I think it's 60 or 62% of that money for the rest of your life. So much better to have 62% or 60% of $83,000 instead of $50,000, right? So what I'm hearing is that there's been uh, this push for the higher legislative pay, which we saw and we saw the Senate president make comments on and everything else. Hmm. Wait a second. Senate president's been there for 24 years. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that this push was for them to be able to push their pay up for the high three years so they could uh, give them a much larger retirement. Interesting how that works out, huh? Interesting how that works out. 
Uh, next story. Dunleavy's parental rights bill, according to Iris Samuels from the ADN, uh, could violate the Alaska Constitution. The Council for the Legislative Affairs Agency wrote in a memorandum requested by Representative Jenny Armstrong said that Dunleavy's bill will likely raise challenges. Now, first and foremost, this has never stopped a legislature from doing anything. That it may raise challenges in the courts. The legislature's like, meh, so what? I mean, even though, uh, you know, uh, well, I don't, I don't even want to get into that. But even though that's the case, apparently the legal opinion pertains mostly around a bill that would ban the gender nonconforming students from using the bathrooms of their preferred gender. That is the big part of this. And apparently it's because Alaska has such a strong uh, privacy clause that this would be part of that. Now, I, I don't even know what to say to that other than if you're at school and you're you're demanding that you be addressed by certain gender you know, pronouns or what, I mean, people know already. I don't know how much of a privacy change that would be. The thing that really got me in this discussion on this article is the part about where they didn't want to inform the parents that informing the parents was a violation of the student's right to privacy. Uh, okay, <clears throat> wait a second. You're going to make the parents responsible for all of these different things in kids' lives. I mean, all of these things are going on. And uh, you now are going to say, well, but, you know, they can't do, th you know, that, that's not what it is. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, as for the provision requiring the parents be notified when a student seeks to change their name or pronouns, according to the email, um, said that the bill presents a fact pattern and question that has not been previously decided by the Alaska courts, meaning we don't know. Uh, namely, when a student wishes to be publicly identified by a specific pronoun in the school environment, does notifying the parent of the student's request violate the student's right to privacy when the use of the pronoun itself will be a public action? Meaning, if the the kid wants to be called her, for example, a biological male wants to be called her at the high at the school level. Does that really violate their right to privacy to not tell their parents when they're out in public in the school doing? I mean, there's some I mean, you have to do some really mind bending hoop jumping to try and say that that is privacy at that point, especially when you as a parent are responsible for that child. Boom. That's, that's it. Again, why you haven't pulled your kids out of the public school system and done something different with them? I don't know. But this is just another example of. The madness that's going on down there. It's, it's frustrating. Okay, finally, um, before we run out too much of daylight here, uh, those are some that we can we can continue to talk about these into hour two uh, between Brad and Chris. Um, yesterday, there was a uh, bill introduced, House Bill 142 by Ben Carpenter. They introduce uh, and establish a 2% sales tax with few exceptions across the state of Alaska. Uh, it was introduced after he unveiled a separate bill earlier in the month that would cut, uh, cut taxes on corporations, the highest-end corporations, publicly traded high-end corporations. Um, and there are no carve-outs 
for uh, exceptions for food, medicine, child care. Uh, but he said, again, these are, this is just the beginning of the conversation. He said uh, it's he stressed that it's only intended to pass as part of a broader fiscal plan. And this goes back again to the idea of the fiscal policy working group and that it can't just be one thing. You can't do the whole lift with taxes. You can't do the whole lift with uh, cutting the PFD. You can't do the whole lift with cutting the size and scope of government. This is I mean, that that is the recommendation of the fiscal policy working group. But it's a two percent sales tax, which estimated that the state could take in. Nine hundred and twenty-five million dollars. No, I'm sorry. That was the that's the shortfall. The 2020 estimate of a two percent sales tax could roughly collect seven hundred and forty-one million dollars per year. So it's interesting, um, and it's just the start of the conversation. The exemptions are just going to be part of this conversation. So I can't wait to see where this goes. This is going to be. This is going to be, I mean, and the commentary from the peanut gallery on this just kills me. Uh, uh, Cliff Grow, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, called Park Carpenter's proposal a stealth tax, dis- disproportionately impacting lower income Alaskans. Oh, you mean like the PFD cut? I mean, really, Cliff? This is where, <laughs> I mean, that, that's what. Oh, all of a sudden, everybody's all about disproportionate and regressive taxes. There were several comments of, well, this is a regressive tax. Oh, you mean like the PFD cut? I mean, right? Am I right? All right, we got to go. Brad Keekley's coming up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We got more coming up. We'll be back with more right after these messages. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, so to answer the questions, Brian, first, this t-shirt is for one of my stations in Anchorage. That was, he said, what's the t-shirt say? It says 94.7 Alternative Anchorage. That's what it says. Um, All right. uh, What else we got here? Um, uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. Man, Brian, you're going to bring the banhammer on. You keep talking about stuff like that. Uh, Hawk says, Bun Carpenter's a rhino because of the sales tax. Mm, I don't think so. But... uh, it's interesting to see what. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what the conversation is around this. Uh, wait, I was told there would be no math. Um. So Gary Stevens, you're not only a liar but a crook as well. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's you know, that's what's going on. Um. Probably. Let's see. Just like math, it's hard to find middle ground from with biology. You either got an innie or an outie. Uh, where kids can poop. Um, not even exemptions for food and fuel and for getting to work. I don't support a tax at all, but at least Carpenter could have included those exemptions above. He's stated very clearly, Hawk, that that was all part of the conversation. But, I mean, again. Um... Um, 
Let's see. I got no pronoun. I got no pronoun. Um, but but Cliff is going to grow the PFD. That's what I heard. I heard he was going to grow the PFD. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, Hawk says, uh, two cents on top of the six cents I already paid for food and other necessities. A starting point would have been to include exemption for necessities. The bill introduced is not a starting point. It's a hell no from the get-go. Okay. Well, you know, there you go. Uh, all right. Let's uh, jump over to Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He's uh, here in the green room. Let's uh, see what he has to say this morning. Hello there. You are the source of all evil, I hear, is what I hear. I hear you are the source. <laughs> see, that it's all well, it's now, all... now, now Ben's the source of all evil. Well, no, no, you are, he is your minion. That's what I heard. I heard oh. that he is, he's learned at the oh. feet of the master as you cackle gleefully and wax your mustache that it's all about <laughs> what you have put out there and the thing. It's all your fault, Brad. That's what I hear. I, I've heard everything now for somebody to call Ben Carpenter a rhino. I've, I have, yeah. I've, I've well, covered you know. the waterfront. That's that, that completes the picture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, uh, interesting, uh, interesting twist this week. Of course, we knew that the spring forecast was, uh, Hey Steele, how you doing? Uh, and we knew that the spring forecast was going to, uh, Create some ripples. It was going to rock the boat a bit. And lo and behold, guess what? Boom. You got the ripples right there, right? Yeah, we finally got down to it. What, what are we? Halfway through the, the, the statutory session, a third of the way through the constitutional session. And and we finally got to the we finally got to the punch punchline. So uh it's gonna be interesting from here on out. <laughs> from here on out. Hasn't been interesting at all up until now, but now it's well, gonna get it it's I mean, been, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, it you know, now it's going to get real interesting. You know what's really amazing to me though, Michael, is everybody went every, every the reaction is, "Oh my gosh, we're in a, we're, we have a revenue problem." I mean, do, the, do these people not follow oil prices? Do they not follow no, production no. levels? Wait I a mean, second. Just... Have they not followed budgets for the last 14 years? We have a have revenue problem. Have they not I mean, followed the Michael? Have they not followed the Michael Duke show for I mean, it's, twenty it's, years? I mean, you know, I, what have I said? I mean, since since nineteen ninety nine, I said we don't have a revenue problem in this state. We have a spending problem, and that was true for the first 15, 18 years. Over the last six or seven years, the spending problem has created a new revenue problem. That's the problem. I mean, the whole time it was a spending problem, and now it's so much that they've literally created a spending problem. Okay. Um, hold the line, Brad. Let's get to it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Oh, God. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Da ding. That's right. The Michael Dukes show. It's Tuesday. And that means tacos. <laughs> but uh, before we get to the tacos, let's get to the top three. Uh, the weekly top three, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes in. Apparently, 
he is the master of all evil. He has been influencing and exerting his evil influence on the legislature. And they've all finally listened to him and they've all drank the Jonestown Kool-Aid and they're all on board now with Brad's evil plan. Um, Brad, uh, welcome to the program and good morning, sir. How does it feel to exercise that kind of power (laughs) in the state of Alaska? That's what I want to know. Yeah, well, I don't think that's what's going on, but, but, but. Okay. If, if somebody needs a, if somebody needs an evil spirit behind it, I'll, I'll happily step up to do it. Okay. Uh, Brad, the weekly top three, I mean, it's like, uh, you, we were just saying during the break, uh, all of a sudden people said, discovered that, whoa, wait a second. We've got a, we've got a revenue problem. Wait, I, I had no idea after, after 15 years of excess spending from savings and, and deficit spending, I had no idea we had a revenue problem. I mean, I'm sh- shocked, shocked, I tell you. It's insane. Yeah, it's the when the spring forecast came out, it was uh, it was humorous uh, to see all the people's reaction, all, all of the legislators reaction about, oh, my gosh, I mean, there's a there's an issue that we have to that we have to confront. Right. It's like they had it. Had, it's like they hadn't been following. Uh, oil prices or production levels or the Michael Duke show for uh, for the for the past six months. So um, I, we're we're finally at the point where we can sort of start the meat of the session. I guess uh, we've got the we've got a realistic revenue projection out in front of the legislature, and the legislature uh, can finally start dealing with it. So your first number one of the weekly top three is the legislature's knee jerk reaction. Um, uh, so what, 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 what makes you say that? Give us the, give us the rundown here. Well, here, here's the re- reaction since the spring revenue forecast is, has, has gone out. Um, there have been some who have said, oh my gosh, we're spending too much. We need to rein some of it in, but not many. I think Mike Cronk yesterday in, in house finance, uh, amended a, a proposed uh, spending of 1.5 million on something down to 1 million because oh, we have a we have a we have a re- we have a right, revenue problem right, out there right. we have a we have a fiscal problem out there. Uh, there's all of the pressure that's been behind increased spending is still out there uh, in the Senate finance presentations of the spring revenue forecast. There was oh my gosh we got a problem. But that problem, you know, still doesn't factor in that we're going to increase school spending, we're going to increase the the BSA, uh, and that we're going to have defined benefits, and that we need to spend uh, we sp- we need to spend on other things. So, part of the knee jerk has been has been, oh, yeah, we got a problem. Maybe we need to pay attention to spending a little bit, but we're still going to spend more. And so, what we really have is a revenue problem, and the and the reaction on the revenue side has been disappointing it's been well we need to cut the pfd even deeper we need to we need to use a head tax a regressive head tax the most regressive head tax in the nation even more uh in order to uh address this revenue problem um and then bill willikowski's come up with oil taxes which are we need to address oil taxes as part of as part of the overall uh uh, uh fiscal fiscal response um, you and I have talked on the show, even the Department of Revenue has come out and said there are oil taxes that we should be kept collecting that we're not, that wouldn't have an impact on production. So Willikowski came out um, with oil taxes. And then Ben, as you were describing earlier, came out with the sales tax. Um, and, you know, sales tax is less regressive than PFD cuts. Um, so, you know, for somebody to say, PFD cuts are the alt are the are the are the ultimate source of revenue, uh, the marginal source of revenue. Sales taxes would be less regressive than PFD cuts. That's better 
than uh, than PFD cuts. So for somebody to say Ben's a rhino is just sort of ridiculous. And right. Ben's trying to improve the situation from the baseline, uh, which is PFD cuts. But sales taxes are still regressive. Right. Um, so so let's look at what let's look at what the response has been. Little cut in spending, very little cut in spending. You know, sort of uh, we'll shave off at the margins, but not much. Oil taxes and sales taxes, which are which are which are a regressive form of tax. Who's not in that equation? Who's being left out of that equation? Of right. That, of that overall equation, the top twenty percent. So we we we've, we've got a situation in which oh my gosh, we've got a problem um, uh, that we've got to address. Let's just keep shoving it off on middle and lower income Alaska families. Let's keep using regressive. Let's not cut spending. We don't want to do that. Let's keep you. Let's let's make even deeper PFD cuts and let's maybe use sales taxes at the margin and and let's go get oil taxes, which is which is a good thing. But oil taxes aren't affecting the top twenty percent. So what we've got the the knee jerk reaction is to continue down the road that we've been going down, which is to leave the top twenty percent out of the solution. And the problem with that, Michael, is if you don't get the top 20% involved, they're not going to have an incentive to push back on spending, which is the ultimate, the ultimate solution to this, to this whole thing is to, is to have pushback on spending, you know, balance revenues with, with spending, but to balance revenues with spending, you've got to, you've got to push back on the top 20%. So we haven't, we haven't gotten to the, to the ultimate solutions yet. I think I think what this real what we're really setting up is a lot of focus. The media will continue to focus on Senate finance because you know Bert Stedman's a great source of of of, uh, of quotes and and you know and it, it is the Senate um, and so the media will continue to focus on Senate finance. But I think the real action now shifts to the real important action shifts to House Ways and Means and coming up with a comprehensive. Uh, solution to uh, to the to the to the fiscal problem that right. will include include in part oil taxes, will include in part um, uh, some source of revenue, hopefully more equitable than sales taxes, but some source of revenue, and will include some PFD cuts uh, as a as a and some sp- and then some spending cuts, some spending restraint and a spend and a spending ca- and a spending cap and a cut and a and a um, and a uh, protection for the PFD constitutionally because that's what has to happen right i mean you have to take the you have to take the PFD out of the picture for them to face the rest of the fiscal reality so you have to have a spending cap so it cuts caps the overall spend but you also have to constitutionalize or protect the PFD or put it in a shell transfer state so that no matter what that is now off the table and they're forced to look at the overall picture instead of just going to the piggy bank of the PFD over and over and over again. Right. Exactly right. But but you also need you also need to focus on and I and I don't think the focus is I don't think we've had near enough focus on this yet. You also need to create incentives for all Alaska families to be pushing back on spending for all Alaska families to be bearing a part of the burden of, of increased government spending. Um, and, and I, that's just how that's that you created an incentive for them to, for them to push back. And, and I don't think we've had enough focus on that yet. So yes, it it is. The overall package includes constitutionalizing the PFD. The overall package includes a spending pack, spending cap, uh, constitutionalizing a spending cap. If, if, if that's the, if that's the desire, 
um, the overall uh, package includes uh, uh, some additional revenue, but but it's got to include it's got that that pushback on overall revenue that pushback on revenue has got to include the top twenty percent to to create incentives for them to be part of the pushback. Otherwise, otherwise you're just going to have continued continued efforts by the top twenty percent who don't feel the burden of 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 increased spending who don't feel who don't have to come up with the revenue for increased spending you're just going to have continued push uh by the top 20 percent for uh, uh for continued spending because they don't they don't bear any part of bear any part of the burden so i we're, we're we we've made progress in this sense we've finally got the, the the spring revenue forecast out there we finally got much more realistic revenue numbers that everybody's dealing with uh, we've we've got you know we've got some people engaged on looking at uh, revenue. We've got we've already had some people engaged on looking at spending caps. We've already got some bills in that constitutionalize uh, the PFD. So we're getting the various pieces together. We're missing one piece, which is creating that incentive for the top twenty percent to push back. Also, uh, but we're finally we're finally starting to see the the, the pieces. Uh, uh, out there uh, uh, coming together. And I think it's going to be, I don't think you're going to see Senate finance do it. I mean, Lyman's got this idea of cutting the POMB 2575, cutting the PO, PO, the PFD to POMB 2575, and then refilling that, you know, filling it back up to POMB 5050 by, by new revenues. But once you get, once you get to, I don't, I don't think that works. Once you get to POMB, once you get the PFD cut to POMB 2575, I don't it, think there's any real incentive yeah. to to pass additional revenue. It doesn't they got come all the back. revenues they need. Right. It doesn't. It does. It's it's so much easier to prevent it than it is to try and ratchet it back. There's no way you're gonna tr you're gonna crank it back to fifty fifty at that point, because as you say, there's no incentive for them to do so. So I think I think I think I think the I don't I don't think you're gonna see Senate Finance come up with the with the comprehensive solution. They'll talk a good game. The media will cover it a lot. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see Senate Finance uh, come up with the with the comprehensive solution. I think I think this really puts the spotlight for those who understand, for those who are seeing how this is playing out in the various bodies. I think it really puts the spotlight on uh, on ways and means, um, and hopefully ways and means is going to is going to shine in the spotlight uh, and come up with an with an overall plan. The pieces are the pieces are sort of getting getting formed out there, sort of coming or, or sort of coming to the table out there, but it's putting it together and then getting that one additional missing piece uh, as part of the as part of the puzzle to bring it all together. This again, this pretty much covers all the points that the fiscal policy working group brought forward. We just kind of ran, ran through them, uh, basically. Uh, but this is what they're looking for. And that's what the that's what uh, Carpenter and the, and the Ways and Means Committee is trying to create is a sound fiscal plan it seems like all we're seeing coming out of the senate finance committee is business as usual more of the same right i mean it's just it's from one from one crisis to the next it's one year at a time yeah and, and what's really going on in senate finance is the same thing we saw at the last at the end of last session uh at the end of last session we saw a, a need for additional revenues we saw people trying to defend the pfd and protect against pfd cuts and you'll recall at the end of the last session, uh, uh, Senator Stead, or, uh, Chairman Stedman and Senator Hoffman both all of a sudden brought up oil taxes. Uh, they both brought Wilikowski's oil tax up. And what that did was trigger a flash pushback 
by the chambers of commerce and by all the trade groups. Oh no, you can't increase all taxes. And that locked in being able to use PFD cuts. I mean, the people who were pushing for right. uh, uh, trying to defend the PFD sort of got silenced at that point because they made the choice between increased oil taxes or, or, or PFD cuts. Um, and that's sort of what the Senate's doing again. I mean, we're going to see, they're going to have the oil tax bill up on Friday and we're going to see a lot of pushback about the, by the oil industry. Uh, I, I, I imagine uh, I would forecast, we're going to see a lot of pushback by the oil industry on, on the oil tax bill and they're, and the Senate finance is trying to make it about PFD cuts or Senate finance. I mean, Senate finance is going to, or, or oil taxes, Senate finance is going to say, well, if we can't do oil taxes, we're going to have to do PFD cuts. That's why the burden's really over on House Ways right. and Means to bring all the component parts together. Senate Finance is, is just not is just not doing that, um, and um, and they want to make it you know yeah they're looking, they, they want they want to just create a rationalization for why it needs to be well they're looking for political cover. I mean that's what the chambers gave them last year was the political cover to basically make that argument and say. PFD cuts or oil taxes. Now you've looked and you and I have discussed that, you know, there is still money on the table in the oil industry and sure. you've looked at Wilikowski's bill. I think it's pretty reasonable, quite honestly, looking at it and looking at the components of it. It does the one thing that you've talked about, the Hillcorp uh, thing, you know, uh, uh, that taxation. And again, it makes them, you know, write off their oil tax credits in the areas against uh, investments in the areas. And then it reduces the per barrel and does it. I mean, and it could generate four or five hundred million dollars, which I think, as you stated, is probably somewhere in the area of where we could, you know, what is reasonable to continue to tax. So does it does it check off all the boxes for you? I, th I think I think the 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 Hillcorp fixing the Hillcorp uh, uh, glitch or the Hillcorp loophole, I think, is important. We should have done that a long time ago. Uh, I think the per barrel changing the per barrel credits is appropriate. Uh, Department of Revenue has looked at that and they've not projected any uh, production losses, any investment losses as a result of, of the adjustment to the per barrel credit that, that Wilikowski has in there. Ring fence, ring fencing, I think, is going to be a big issue. And I suspect that what Conoco is going to come in and say is that Willow, uh, the, the profitability of Willow gets sort of spacey uh, if you don't do ring fencing, that, that they've factored in, that they factored in the absence of ring fencing, the ability to write off those costs against other production, um, against other taxes, that they factor that in the economics of Willow. And I suspect we're going to hear statements like we finally get it to the through the federal government. And now the, the <clears throat> legislature is going to threaten uh, Willow. So I, ring ring fencing may be a may be a step beyond. But the but fixing the Hillcorp glitch, um, the Hillcorp loophole and and changing uh Per barrel credits, I think, are uh, are very appropriate steps, and that is four hundred to five hundred million dollars. Thirty seconds for a number two tease. Give me a tease on number two. Number two is uh, at the same time as we have as we have all these knee jerk reactions of of, uh, of increasing regressivity. We now have through additional PFD cuts. We now have uh, some evidence forming out there that Alaskans are in fact hurting, uh, and 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 the disconnect between that evidence and what's going on on the fiscal side uh, is still pretty stark, and, and we're going to talk about that. Brad Keithley's our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues. We'll be back with more right after this.
listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the few things that Harold and I agree on, Alaska is the only oil sovereign with a net profits tax. I've always wondered, I mean, the whole net profits scheme is such a crazy thing because I guarantee you all those uh, oil companies have whole floors in a building full of lawyers and accountants that can sharp pencil that stuff down for a net profits deal um, that make it super sketchy. And then you've what? only got a certain number of years to uh, to go back and look at it and everything else. It's always been a problem. Yeah, Alaska is not the oil, only oil sovereign. I mean, Alaska is the only state that has a net profits tax, but but the, the net profits tax is the standard in the international among international uh, uh, in the international oil community. So you look at most international venues; they do have net profits tax, um, and that's to encourage investment. I mean, the reason you have a net profits tax is because it takes into account; it allows deductibility. Of, of of additional investment and it encourages and that profits tax encourages additional investment. So uh, it I I don't think the problem is with uh, with is with the net profits tax. I think the the problem is is that we haven't kept up since 2013. We haven't kept up with changes in the economics of of the oil industry, and we haven't gone back and looked at the various parts that got enacted as part of the overall bill back in 2013 and it updated updated the bill. And one of the places we can do that is the per barrel credits. And one of the places we need to do that is with respect to the, the glitch that Hillcorp found, which is uh, if you if you run your business through an LLC as opposed to a, 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 a corporation, a C-Corp, uh, then, then you don't have to pay corporate tax. So I, I we, we need to fix that glitch and we need to fix the per barrel credits. But I don't think the fundamental problem is with the net, net profits tax. We the, the reason we went to part of the reason we went to a net profits tax is is because we want to encourage investment in Alaska. And that's the reason you see a net profits tax uh, th uh, throughout the world as well, because they want to in incentivize investment. Well, but we've seen uh, we've seen it in the past when I was on the borough assembly. We had this all the time where uh, they'd be looking back and, and uh, they, again, had a whole floor full of sharp penciled accountants and lawyers who were basically say, well, this is what our. This is what our tax payment should be. This is where we're at. And then the state has, you know, they got to play catch up and try and do it. And a lot of the times they'd come back and say, no, no, you actually owe this. And they'd catch a few of them. But for the most part, the statute would run out before they got a chance to review a lot of that stuff. And, you know, Alaska's left holding the bag for millions of dollars because they can't keep up with the net profit. I understand the idea of a net profit uh, a net profit. Uh, generating more um, more investment and stuff up front. But once you get to legacy fields and stuff, I think some of that stuff needs to change. Yeah, but there's still investment going on in, in the legacy fields. I mean, this had the change to the net profits tax was something that was looked at heavily by the legislature from sort of the mid 2000s. I mean, ACES was a net profits tax. I, uh, it, it was something that the legislature has grappled with, with for a long time um, in terms of in terms of trying to deal with um, uh, how to encourage investment in, in Alaska. Alaska, unlike Texas and unlike the lower 48, Alaska is, is a challenging environment, uh, challenging uh, uh, climate, challenging environment, uh, in, in a high cost environment in order to bring additional investment. And so 
the, the, the evaluation from Tony Knowles on, the evaluation has been, we need to move to a net profits tax in order to encourage investment. I, I grant you that, that it's more complicated. I grant you that you need, that you need more auditors and you need uh, a sharper, sharper focus on it. But there's a reason. I mean, it's not, it, it wasn't, wasn't the old companies wanted it because they have sharp accountants. There's a reason why we moved uh, to a net profits tax, a reason from the state standpoint why we moved to a net profits tax. So I, we, we, need, we need to adjust the net profits tax. I, I'm not arguing with that. And, and, and the Department of Revenue has outlined ways to do it. Well, Lukowski's picked up on those ways. Um, uh, and ring fencing is going to be another issue. But I don't think the fund we don't, I don't think we need to go back and re-challenge the fundamental decision to go to a net profits tax. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, I loved in a lot of these articles that we were talking about and all these new revenue measures and everything else, how all of a sudden everybody has whipped out the term regressive, the regressive <laughs> tax. Uh, you know, the in the two or three articles that talk about Ben Carpenter's deal and they're going on and on and on about how, oh, man, it's a regressive tax. Uh, we should, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, they've discovered that word and never, of course, applied it to the PFD. Well, I, I broke out in laughter yesterday. I was reading some of the the Twitter the tweets on uh, on the sales tax, and Harriet Drummond uh, just had the classic. Harriet Drummond went on and on about how you know sales tax is regressive, and Ben doesn't have exemptions in there, and it's even more regressive, and 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 he's trying to pile on this this cost on lowering. Harriet voted for PFD cuts. Which are which are miles more regressive than than sales taxes. I, sales taxes aren't good because they don't incentivize the tw top twenty percent to come to the game. But but sales taxes are at least less regressive than than PFD cuts. And for somebody on yep. the progressive side, yeah, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Okay, we're continuing now. Brad Keithley is with us, the weekly top three. We're on to number two, which is all of a sudden people are noticing that Alaskans may be hurting. I mean, shocking, I know. Uh, outflow of working age adults, the whole housing issue, the fact that the pandemic, the recession, the blah, blah. All of a sudden they're like, wow, maybe people are hurting out there. And uh, Brad, you have comments on it. Well, there are two articles that, that as 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 you're reading all these articles about PFD, about, you know, we need to cut the PFD, you're reading all this Stedman, all the Senate finance stuff about, we need to cut the PFD in order to balance the budget and lack of recognition about what that means for Alaska families. It's just sort of, you know, I need more money. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go grab some of that money that's going through my fingers on the way to Alaska families. Uh, as I was reading those articles and, and listening to that, the, the, those hearings, I, I'm, I'm going through some of the other articles in the in the paper, financial articles in the paper papers, and two caught my attention. One was in the Frontiersman, uh, excellent article on uh, credit card uh, debt. Alaskans have the highest credit card debt per capita uh, in the nation, uh, in the in the in, in all fifty states. 
Um, and the article talks about the burden and, and why credit card debt is such a bad debt in terms of its cost, in terms of the interest expense, and, and in terms of you know not, not really letting you get out of the hole, uh, sort of credit card debt sort of puts you in a death spiral and how bad all that is. And Alaskans have the highest credit card debt in the nation. Alaska families have the highest credit card debt in the nation. It ain't going to be the top 20% that have high credit card debt. It's right. going to be the middle and lower income Alaska families have the highest credit card debt uh, in the nation. And, and, the, and the disconnect between what I'm hearing on one side about, we just need to take more and more and more and more money out of the PFD, you know, cut the PFD even deeper. It's justified because government needs more. The disconnect between hearing that on one side and knowing how regressive those cuts are and what they do, how much money that's taking out of Alaska fam the hands of Alaska families. And then hearing on the other side that Alaska families are running up the highest credit card debt in the nation uh, per capita was just sort of, you know, just my, my brain just sort of was was running back and forth. Alaskans are hurting. You don't you're not using credit card debt if you're if you're not hurting. You don't you don't maintain high credit card balances if you're not hurting. Um, that's sort of that's sort of your 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 source of income or your source of revenue. It's not income. Source of revenue of last resort to use to use credit card debt. And if Alaskans are running the highest credit card debt in the nation, that means Alaskans are hurting. And 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 on the one hand for for the, the it's just a stark disconnect. On the one hand, going, we can just take more and more and more out of Alaska families through deeper PFD cuts. And at the same time, hearing high credit card debt is just, just astounding. The second article was in the Juno Empire, and it's an op-ed, amazingly enough, uh, by Angela Rodell that talks about, you know, part of the solution to Alaska's out-migration is to help bolster Alaska's small business. And to get small business off the ground, to build more small businesses, because that that builds a better community. It builds more employment. It creates more opportunity. It keeps more people here if they're tied to their if they're tied to their small business. And Alaska needs to encourage small business. Well, guess what? Guess what encourages small business? It's capital formation. And and I've I've got a couple of friends who have who have 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 kept their PFDs, have built them up as a nest egg. And are using them now to finance their their efforts uh, as small businesses, home businesses, uh, small shops, um, uh, small Etsy businesses, small online businesses. Right. And they're and they're being financed not by banks, but by you know equity coming out of their PFD. And at the same time, to read that article about we need more of this, we need more small businesses. At the same time as you're hearing, hey, we need deeper PFD cuts. What we're doing, I mean, Rob Myers has got this exactly right. What we're doing is Alaskans have problems. We have problems with, with uh, private debt. Families have problems with private debt through credit cards. We have problems in capital formation to, 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 to finance small businesses, equity formation to finance small businesses. And, and, and now we're you know, taking all those resources that could do that through the PFD, we're taking them and shifting them to government. Right. And so and so we're creating a situation in which to get out of the hole, Alaskans are having to come to government. I mean, the next thing we're going to hear is, oh, we need we need to finance those people who have big credit card debt or we need to finance. You know, we need to have a, a bank for 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 for, you know, to finance small businesses. We don't need that. We need to let the people have their money. Right. Well, the other the, PFD. the other thing she mentioned in there is a loosening of restrictions and zoning and some other things. I mean, that's, again, part of the problem is government is in the way. We, there's a whole article out about 
uh, occupational licensing right now about how far behind we are in the state of Alaska and things like that. I mean, small business is what drives it's the economic engine of the state. I mean, yes, you know, big corporations, they hire a lot of people, but it is the small business. Eighty percent are in small business. That's that's 80 percent of the economy. If we could reduce the regulations, the strictures, the zoning and all this other kind of stuff, this is where we need to go. And instead, we're just adding more and more. Uh, I mean, government is growing, right? I mean, that's the, that's the whole problem. But small business also needs capital formation. Small business also needs people having access to capital. You can't, you can't get 100% loan for a small business. I mean, you can't finance it entirely with debt. Small business needs capital formation in order to capital, in order to, in order to form those businesses. And, and, and the other article is telling us they're already tapping out, that Alaskans are tapping out their credit cards. Right. We have the highest credit card debt per capita in the nation. So they're not going to be able to, to finance it through, through additional credit card debt. We're already, we're already hitting the, the ceiling there. So where does that come from? It comes from letting you have access to your money. What, this, what the PFD set up, what the statute sets up is your money so that you can, so that you have money to cash flow income in order to pay down the credit card debt. So you have cash flow money in order to have capital formation for the small businesses. We're, we're just, right. we, 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 we see the problems and yet we, and, and yet we're, we're making them worse. Right. Uh, government's making them worse. Yeah. How much credit card debt is paid off every year with a PFD? I mean, right. I mean, there's so many things that could help that that kind of stuff out. All right. Finally, you're saying in number three that the media is getting it. Maybe. Well, let's not get get too carried away. Starting (laughs) to get it. Maybe they're getting it. Maybe. Go ahead. Well, so James Brooks, who we've who I've talked about on the show is as, you know, leaving things out about the PFD. I was I think it was last week or the week before I was complaining about you know, he had an article on the PFD and he didn't mention once the PFD cuts have the largest adverse impact on 80% of Alaska families, have the largest adverse impact on the Alaska economy, have the largest largest adverse impact on Alaska jobs. So he didn't mention that. James Brooks in, in the article talking about the new revenue measures, talking about uh, uh, oil taxes and talking about, briefly talking about sales taxes, he said this, some lawmakers are wary of going low on the dividend, additional PFD cuts, because dividend redu- reductions act as a regressive tax because all Alaskans receive the same benefit, be- dividend. It comprises a higher share of poor Alaskans' incomes. So reduction in its amount is a bigger hit to them. Regressive tax. That's the first time I think I've seen James use, the, use that term, make that recognition that PFD cuts are a regressive tax. And it may be the first time I've seen it anywhere um, uh, in Alaska media. I think Matt Buxton in the Midnight Sun blog, talked about it a couple of times, but but this is there. At least there is the faint recognition of of the fact that PFD cuts are are not just government's money that government's keeping. They do, in fact, operate as a regressive tax on Alaska families. And I want to encourage that sort of recognition by mentioning it uh, uh, on the show that it's not that the media is not always bad, sort of ninety percent bad. I mean, the at the same time as James published that, the Alaska Daily News had, or the Anchorage Daily News had, yet another op-ed from the Binkley top twenty percent about you know how bad how bad PFDs are and how we need to cut them and how that's how we need to finance government. I mean, they're just they're just bought in on the whole top twenty percent position. But but having this recognition that it's a regressive tax, uh, I think, is something that uh, that's encouraging 
uh, and hopefully we'll see more of it as we as we get deeper into the fiscal discussion. Well, <clears throat> at least it's uh, intellectually honest at that point. Uh, you know, for the first time, they're actually looking at both sides of the story, which I thought was what they were supposed to be doing from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought that was supposed to be. But again, this idea that somehow all of a sudden everybody's discovered the phrase aggressive tax. Uh, applying it only to the sales tax, not to the PFD cuts, I find the most hypocritical thing that I could possibly think of. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Yes, Michaels, uh, thank you, uh, as always, for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. <clears throat> Chris Story's coming in today to talk about diversifying your income as well as your happiness. That's all up next in Hour 2, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Yeah, it was shocking, shocking that James Brooks actually brought that up. Uh, and then, of course, the it immediately is submarined by uh, um, by Lyman Hoffman, who comes back and is like, I don't believe that only the people of Alaska should be hit by a $1.3 billion reduction in dividends. I think we should consider other options. Meanwhile, you're the one that's producing and providing and, and proposing the 75-25 split. Uh, I mean, come on, Lyman. I mean, seriously. You know, you want to talk about regressive and hitting Alaskans hard, especially Alaskans in your own backyard. That is just insanity. It is. It is. You know, I, Bryce Edmund, Edgman yesterday in, in House Finance had a comment that I just I was stunned by. Uh, Bryce said that, you know, the PFD isn't that important to rural Alaska, to Bush Alaska, because, among other things, they have, you know, uh, uh, Native Corp dividends that uh, that provide them income. Wait a second. A, not all Bush Alaskans are natives, so not all Bush right. Alaskans have have native corp dividends. B, that's supposed to be additional. So, so you're justifying taking money away from 80% of Alaska families using the tool that has the largest adverse impact on 80% of Alaska families, middle and lower income Alaska families, because some Alaska families get native corp uh, dividends. That, that's just I mean the 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 disconnect between yeah some of my people are okay are better off or are okay because they still get native corp dividends so we we can take the PFD away from them some of my people are better off but you know the rest of Alaskans are are worse off but yeah don't worry about that because because right you know, it's a wash people I care about are 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 a little bit better off are are a little bit balanced because of the native corp dividends it's just we we got really odd reactions out there but at the same time. At the same time, we've got articles that are telling us that Alaskans can use money. That we've got, I mean, that Alaska's expensive, shocker. That 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 our credit card debt is the highest in the nation, shocker, because we're dealing with high costs. Um, and that we need capital to, to, we need small businesses, so we need capital to help in the formation of small businesses, shocker. And yeah, and we got all that, all that evidence, you know, uh, staring us in the face. All those comments staring us in the face. And then we're and then on the other hand we're saying oh but we'll just take more and more more, more and more money away from them because government needs more money. That's just, I, the, you know, last week we were talking about the disconnect between everybody talking about increased spending and nobody talking about the revenue right uh, the the side of it. Well, we finally got that disconnect solved with the with the spring revenue forecast coming out. Now we got this huge friggin' dig, de, disconnect developing between the situation facing Alaska families and Alaska small business and what and what government's doing now. 
Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, slowly but surely, each one of these events is opening the eyes up of people more and more. I mean, it's willful blindness. It's not like they didn't know. It's just that they didn't want to admit it. Uh, this has been the problem for years that I've said in this state. It's not like they can't see it coming. It's like their storks, you know, sticking their their ostriches sticking their head in the sand and just saying, la, 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 la. I can't see it. I can't see it. We'll just keep spending and we'll just draw it from savings and it'll be the way it is. I mean, this is no shock to anybody who's been watching state government for any time in the last 20 years. Uh, it's just now that they are, you know, they finally run out of road to kick the can down is the problem. They're up against, they're coming up against the wall and a can's just going to bounce right back at them. So that's what they're facing right now. And the ones they're trying to protect, I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's not a popular comment. I'm sure the chat room will go ballistic, but the ones they're trying to protect when, when you get down to it at the end of the day, the ones they are trying to protect the top 20%. Because, because when we talk about revenues, it's either deeper PFD cuts or in, or in Ben's case, it's a sales tax, also regressive, uh, has a limited impact on the top 20 percent um, uh, or, or or oil taxes. We're going to take it out of the hides of the oil companies. Uh, that's and it's just I mean, for somebody who understands pots of revenue and where revenue comes from, it's just so clear that they're that they're creating this exception. So we'll see. I mean. That's that's sort of the last bastion. That's where all the all the defensive walls are are put up. Uh, but that's that's one that's one that needs to be knocked down. If we're ever going to get spending under under control, uh, that's one that needs to be knocked down as well. Brad, what are you watching for this week <clears throat> as we go forward here? What do you uh, what are you keeping your eyes on? Uh, the Friday hearing on oil taxes will be a big one. Um, how the oil can how the oil companies play with it? What the chambers of commerce do? Um, uh, whether, uh, whether, how strongly they, uh, they push back on it. Um, it, it'll be, I mean, they're, they're, the Senate's trying to set it up as PFD cuts versus oil taxes. So we'll see how they, uh, how they play that. And then Ben's committee, what's going on. I mean, this is sort of a continuing thing, but what's going on in ways and means and is ways and means truly going to put all the, going to be able to bring all of the pieces together, including a, a, a piece that brings the top 20% involves the top 20% brings all that together in a package and how that uh, how that progresses. Because Ways and Means is going to be looking over the sales tax bill tomorrow night, Wednesday night. So Wednesday for that, Friday for the oil tax bill, you'll be listening to that. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, final thoughts, final parting words before I let you go. Well, we're, we're making progress. We finally got recognition between the, of the disconnect between how much we're spending and, and how much uh, revenue we have. We finally uh, took that step this week. Now we've got to get into the disconnect between what's going on with Alaska families and Alaska small business and what we're doing, what we're doing on government. I mean, government is, is working against Alaska families and working against Alaska small business by taking money that's otherwise due them um, and the, 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 the middle and lower income Alaska families otherwise do them and, and shoving it over to government, taxing them to, to, to pay for government. Uh, we got to get that disconnect resolved as well. Brad Keithley, uh, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. And uh, Michael, as always, thanks for having me. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> I love this. All right, uh, folks, uh, we got to go. We got to fly. Hour two is dead ahead. We're going to continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio.
buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, links to the social media sites where we simulcast the show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, uh, also links to the podcast, which are available wherever uh, you find your podcast including uh, Google and iTunes and uh, Apple, the Stitcher, CastBox, and my favorite, Spotify. So uh, go over there and check it out. Also, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator um, and uh, FM translator. We appreciate you guys coming in and joining us. Hour two of the big radio show today. Uh, we're going to be changing it up uh, when we join Chris Story here in just a bit. Normally, Chris comes in for kind of a life, uh, life coaching lesson, uh, lesson, lesson, lesson. It's a life coaching lesson, uh, a life coaching lesson. But today, since last week we talked about diversifying your creativity, diversifying your stream of happiness for a variety of things, I thought, you know, let's talk a little bit about diversifying your money. Um, how that helps as well, how that helps bring some peace of mind and some other things. Cause Chris is pretty good at that. Uh, uh it's a, it's a lice lesson. Yes. Lice lesson. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Chris is pretty good at that. So he's going to bring it in today and we're going to talk with him about, uh, that we're going to talk with him about diversifying your money and your income stream and stuff like that and what that does for you. Um, it's something that, uh, I discovered several years ago and have put to good use and it's been, uh, well, it's been good. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. And it definitely, it definitely helps out. So we're going to discuss that with Chris here in, uh, just a few moments. He'll be joining us and we can uh, pick that up there and start talking about that. Meanwhile, uh, we've still got some, uh, we've still got some discussions and some talking points. I am working on bringing on um, some folks from Reason Magazine to talk about occupational licensing. Now, this is normally, probably, normally, probably, what you would consider to be kind of a dry, boring subject. But it goes back to what Brad was just talking about. Uh, this opinion piece from Angela Rodell in the uh, Juno Empire talking about, you know, we need to bolster small business. We need to to do all these things and we need to... You know, uh, she talked about removing zoning and hurdles and all this kind of stuff. Occupational licensing in the state of Alaska, well, across the country, has been a thorn in the side of small business owners, entrepreneurs, and people who just want to go out there and work. Um, there's a story in the Alaska Beacon talking about an Anchorage psychologist who had been waiting six months 
for a uh, license to operate. I mean, could you imagine not being able to do – I mean, I've been there. Can you imagine having to wait six months to not be able to, you know, basically do your occupation, right, to, to actually perform the work for which you were trained and have devoted your, life wor- your life's work? Um, I had to do that when I left one of my previous uh, employment at, at, a, at a different radio station. And uh, it's tough when you've dedicated your whole life to one thing and, um, and, and you know, you see how badly you can be hurt by that. I mean, I had already started at that point to diversify my revenue, so I was uh, lucky and able to try and hold on long enough to be able to make that happen. But, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be able to go for six months without an income from your chosen profession. Um, anyway, this person reached out to the Senate majority for help. And when uh, Kathy Giesel, who was the Senate Majority Leader, she called the licensing office, she was greeted by a voicemail. Uh, The person who was in charge of answering the phones had quit and couldn't be replaced. Apparently, this is a big problem. Professional licensing just doesn't have enough people to even answer the phone. Last year, the state reported that 39 occupational license examiner jobs were vacant. That's one in five. That's actually an improvement, though, because it was fully a third of the state's licensing examiner jobs were vacant uh, back in 2021. Uh, Professional licensing by the state has been reporting months-long waits for new permits or renewals. Some boards of commissions have voted to take emergency action, extending the existing licenses longer than normally allowed by state law because they can't even get to them for renewals, let alone for new people who, you know, you want to know why there's an outflow and this kind of stuff, people trying to move into the state, if they couldn't, if they couldn't, uh, you know, go out and perform their jobs, couldn't go out and perform their duties for months and months and months, what is the attractiveness of coming to the state of Alaska? How is that helping at all? Justin Ruffridge is quoted in the article. He was the chair of the state board of pharmacies, and he said that uh, he said I would say staffing shortages are probably the biggest hurdle to overcome. Turnover is pretty high in the department, and they're working pretty hard to actually unify some of the licensing issues. At the moment, though, it's still a bit of a hurdle. I can still hear a few complaints from people about weeks of time waiting for licensing and things of that nature, but I know that I'm pretty confident that that's going to get worked out. So the governor's solution to this is a, a $1.5 million increase to hire 12 new licensing professionals. I mean, they they got a bunch of vacancies already, but apparently they're going to put 12 new licensing positions in again on top of that when they've got 20% are vacant to be. Here's the solution. Let's remove some of the licensing requirements. Let's remove some of the things that, I mean, and because it's not going the right way, it's actually going backwards. It's actually going backwards. In fiscal year 2012, the divisions of, of uh, corporations, business, and professional licensing licensed 98 professions. Ten years later, it licensed 118. And by the way, the, over the past 10 years, the number of licenses issued by the division has risen 64%. So you're already seeing it going up. And this year... They're already proposing additional occupations need to come under state approval, adding more of a workload to the state license. Why? (laughs) This year, legislators have introduced legislation that would regulate associate counselors, naturopaths, and, I can't even say it, interior designers. 
you're going to have to beg the government's permission to be an interior designer. What the actual hell? I mean, come on, people. Seriously. An interior designer. This is government's nature, baby. This is government's nature. Back in 2015, and oh, I railed against this when it happened, Representative Lynn Gaddis, the Republican from the Matsu, secured passage of a bill requiring tougher training requirements for manicurists. Why? Because reasons? Consumers will appreciate the additional training requirements that will lead to greater safety and hygiene practices being implemented state. Oh, my God. I mean, that's all we need is government involved in every aspect of our life. 118, by the way, that's, again, the number of licensed uh, you know, professions that we co we're covering now, 118, is actually pretty low. In many states, it's over 200 professions. And what are they finding? The more, the more licensed professions there are and the tougher that they, their economic growth is impacted. Reason Magazine has done a whole thing on this. And I was, in fact, I was just reading it yesterday or day before, uh, a whole new thing on this uh, uh, occupational licensing. Uh, and there are states now who are making strides to remove the occupational licensing from certain, I mean, again, interior designers. Why would you have to have a license to be an interior? I like that lamp. Or that wall hanging or that carpet. Why? Wh why? Why would you need government's permission to be an interior, especially when government is so far behind on all this stuff? I mean, talking about raise, raising the cost, and of course, that doesn't even cover the training and licensure costs and everything else for all this professional licensing stuff. It is overwhelming. How much this 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 uh, this uh, uh, costs small business to try and conform to all these stuff? It's insane. Now, one good thing that happened is uh, Governor Dunleavy, in addition to requesting more professional licensing staff, which again, my question is, why don't we just reduce the number of regulations? But he has proposed legislation that would offer universal temporary licensing that allows workers who are licensed for a profession in another state to be able to work in Alaska for up to 180 days with another 180-day extension possible while pursuing an Alaska-specific license. Okay, I mean, that's good. That's good. But why isn't it just a universal license that if they covered it in one state, they're good in this state, if it's a comparable law, right? Why would we have to redo all the training, the exercising, the classes, the things, all the licensing costs and everything else. Why would we duplicate that? I mean, what, people, you know, if they could just come here and bring their license and it was portable, hallelujah. No cost to open up on that end of it anyway. Now all you got to do is get your, you know, your capital costs for your building or your space or whatever. You at least don't have to go through all the hoops again that you didn't because you've been practicing for, you know, I mean, some of these things are like people have been practicing for 10 or 15 years and then they move to another state. And they got to go through the whole licensing process again like they've never done this before. It is crazy. I mean, this country revolted over a 3% tax on mail. And now we've got all of these, all of these, um, uh, you know, different things that are basically in every aspect of our lives. 
begging the governments. And in fact, the studies show that it doesn't even make it safer or better in many cases. And in fact, those costs are all passed on to the customer. So there you go. Yeah, I guess they've got to license those interior designers because Paisley couch covers. Oof, man, that is a weapon of mass destruction right there. Nobody needs a Paisley couch cover. That's that's for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, we got to go. Uh, we're going to continue uh, the Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Chris Story's up next. We're going to talk about diversifying your money. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Chris uh, Story. Let's... uh... Let's get Chris. Uh, let's get Chris on the line here and get him. Let's do it early. Do it often here. We'll get him squared away. Make sure that we're not juggling at the last minute. Hey, look at that! Got it to work. Okay. Oh. Maybe he's... Good morning, Michael. We're worried you went to sleep again. Okay, hey, how are you? I'm wonderful. What you talking about? What you talking about? Early, what, you, what you talking about? I know. I just wanted to make sure it was all working and not be up against the break and do all that stuff. So and it is good. Yeah, it is good. Yep. Go ahead. Proceed. Go get yourself a cup of coffee. I'll be right back to you. Okay. I'll be here. All right. Hold the line there, Chris Story, um, the man from Homer. Uh, let's see, uh, get, get the, es- uh, Brian says, get Eskimo libertarian on to talk about licensing. She seems up to the topic on the state and local level. We might do that because <laughs> I mean, again, the idea that occupational licensing is required to keep us safe is so much hooey, so much hooey. I mean, again, uh, Harold is like, what are we sticking up for interior designers? No, I'm showing the absurdity of it that we somehow now have to have state licensure for interior designers because that makes sense. I mean, that, I mean, I'm just, I'm pointing it out as it's a point of ridicule, Harold. I don't know if you understand that it's a point of ridicule because it's ridiculous. Again, what's a person going to do? You've hung the wrong drapes. That's a crime against humanity. I'm reporting you to the to the government for hanging the wrong drapes. I mean, this is this is insane. Uh, Jeannie says they need the division needs an audit to figure out why their retention is so dismal. Probably because it's a crushing workload and nobody cares. I mean, that's you know, it's just oof. Um, let's see, uh, going through, uh, oh, say, um, uh, Bjorkman, Ruffridge, Carpenter, 
Uh, it's about the money that they can collect from forcing them through a renewal process. I know. I mean, it's becoming a revenue source again, but why do we need governmental? I mean, I can understand if you're talking about like medical things and things like that, that are health and safety and, you know, I, but, but interior designers, it's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Uh, um, it's about control. That's really what it's about. It's just about control. Um, try being a hairdresser almost requires a PhD to get a license just to cut hair. Uh, oh yeah, you might get a, if you don't go through the process, uh, and get government stamp of approval, you might get a colorblind interior designer. I could see how that might be a problem, Chris. I could see as how that might be very, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And then Harold points out some points of where people are professionally licensed and covered by all that. And they're still passing out opioids or, you know, doing bad and perverted things and all that stuff. The licensing didn't seem to help, did it? Didn't seem to make it. Uh, I find occupational licensing one of the most heinous things that government has ever done, quite honestly. Uh, It's just, it grew out of a good idea to begin with over things like, you know, again, medical and health and necessity things. And it's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And it makes no sense whatsoever uh, in the long run about what's going on. It's crazy. Okay, we are about um, 40 seconds out. Uh, So we're going to jump into this here. Chris Story is our guest. Um, We're going to uh, we're going to talk with him about, again, diversifying. Last week, we talked about diversifying your happiness, diversifying your creativity, your goal. Today, we're going to talk about diversifying your money and how that can help. Let's get back into it, shall we? The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share, like it, follow. Let's do it. Here we go. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right, uh, back to it here. Chris Story is uh, our guest. Let's jump into it with uh, him this morning. He is the man from Homer, and he uh, brings to us normally every week, he brings uh, a dose of what we like to call positivity. I mean, what is that? Well, you know, the stuff and things that make us smile and does all that kind of stuff. Chris Story joins us this morning. Today, it's not necessarily positivity. It's a little bit of maybe even some financial help. Let's talk with him about that right now. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm glad you stopped short of saying make you giggle. I appreciate that. You could make me giggle. That would be... That would be that would be that would be an achievement for sure. Um, hey, so uh, last week we talked about it was diversity of uh, diversifying your your joy, right, or your happiness, your 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 creativity. That's kind of the direction we were going, right? Yes. 
Yes, you are correct, Michael. Once again, you've answered your own question. All right. Well, I'm just making you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Uh, that's an old lawyer trick, right? Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I play that's one right. on TV. Uh, so uh, and so I asked you at the end of the show, I said, well, we've talked a lot about it because I, I kept likening it back to kind of like diversifying your, you know, your revenue. And I said, well, and that's also something that you specialize in and it's diversifying revenues and helping people. Your book, The Backyard Millionaire, is all about. Um, you know, developing wealth in your own backyard and and helping to create a net worth and to diversify your your regular revenue from your day job and everything else and have a side hustle. And, you know, you, you talk all about it. So I thought I would just open the floor up for you to talk about all of this stuff. And people are asking if they can take up a collection so that you can have a camera because they miss your smiling face. Um, yeah, right. they don't. Yeah, they don't. So, so anyway, I'll, I'll take it away. But yeah, my they can send. They can send the revenues. Uh, those, they can send the revenues, as Brad would call it. Uh, they can send the revenues to 1005 Church Court, Homer, Alaska, 99603. I'll do as I please with the the revenues or money. But, right. Uh, yeah. Send it my way. So you work. I'll, I'll you, you work for government then. That's how it works. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, you betcha. Oh, you oh, for a change. Oh. All right. So sorry. Well, I want to share with you. Go ahead. There's a lot of there's a lot of news. A lot of scary news. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty in the market. You know the large market doesn't like uncertainty because it's higher risk, lower reward, or lower reward potential. So we need a formula in good and bad and uncertain times, in all the way across, a ubiquitous formula that never fails. And I say this to you with apologies to W. Clement Stone, who had a success formula that never fails. And he, of course, is famous for bringing Napoleon Hill out of retirement. And together they wrote books and did television shows and radio programs uh, until through the, the 60s and until Napoleon died about 73, something like that. But he had the success formula that never fails. I have piggybacked on top of that. I call it the golden shovel formula. The success formula never fails. And that is simply three things. It's leverage multiplied by your efforts equals reward. An example I give when I'm talking about this usually is, have you ever tried to dig a hole with your hands? If you have, you know the value of a shovel, which represents the leverage. And the gold is, of course, the reward when you combine your efforts with leverage. Leverage can be scary. We have rising interest rates. They haven't been this high in, what, six, eight years? Um, 10 years ago, eight or nine years ago, I guess I would say, the guests that would come on to talk about mortgages and money and leverage on my radio show, we would say, wow, interest rates are at six and a half, almost 7%. What do you want to talk about? That's not fun. Let's talk about something else. And we would we'd orient around the opportunity and how you can always refinance later when the rates come down. Guess what the rates did? They came back down to, quote, historic low levels. Now they're back up to where they were, say, eight, nine years ago, and yet it's created more uncertainty. Prices have come down on real estate specifically. Prices, it's about the only thing that's come down on price-wise across the country. Um, for the first time in a decade, we've seen the median home price drop, not significantly, but even take a drop. And in some markets, Michael, all that represents is they didn't rise as much as that you would have expected based <laughs> right. on the trend. Right. That's all that means. But what does this all mean to you? I'm telling you, and Michael, you may want to get this tattooed on your body somewhere. I'm, I'm writing you this cannot down. save your <laughs> you cannot save your way to a fortune, but you can invest your way to wealth. And you can't invest your way to wealth if you can't save. 
And so it's a bit of a conundrum, but they come together hand in hand underneath that formula with which you can use leverage combined with your effort and get the reward. Now, you get to choose which millionaire mountain you want to climb. I've chosen real estate and business. And so you can choose from the four mountains. According to Robert G. Allen and Mark Victor Hansen, uh, they came up with a book, Millionaire Mountain. There's four of them, real estate, business, investments, and internet. And with real estate, you get to leverage, rarely with business. You can. You can leverage with business and get a business loan. SBA exists just for that purpose. But it's a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult. And investments, stocks, bonds, CDs, nobody's loaning you money. You don't walk in your bank and say, hey, I'm thinking about investing in uh, uh, Solyndra or I'm thinking about investing in FTX or I'm thinking about investing in um, you know, Enron. Can you loan me a million bucks so I can leverage? No. Wait, do you do you work for SVB? I'm just asking for a friend. That's uh, right. Yes, exactly. I'm their chief advisor. Their chief advisor. Uh, they're not returning my calls. I'm not sure what happened. And then the internet. You don't really leverage with the internet. The internet is leverage. It's it's what's a great equalizer in whatever industry you want to be in. You can use the internet as leverage, but you don't necessarily parlay bank dollars or mortgage dollars or you know any sort of other people's money unless you you hit it big to say with amazon or some some big company where you get back it but of all those mountains the the most leverageable is real estate and the greatest reward and lowest risk is in real estate so my version of diversity in your portfolio in your financial future is to have a home a duplex or two, uh, maybe a fourplex, a commercial property. So I like diversity within that one mountain of real estate. So that that's kind of, that's my pitch for, yes, we're in times of uncertainty. Yes, right, rates are rising. Maybe prices are leveling or coming down in some sectors and markets. But yet there's never been a better opportunity than right now to leverage your way to a fortune. And I want to, again, when I, I want to talk about this specifically in the terms of real estate, but I want to impress upon people the idea that diversifying your revenue stream brings you a lot of peace of mind. Uh, I discovered mm -hmm. this about six or seven years ago uh, when I started, uh, I started another business. I had a business on top of the show, on top of what I was doing for my job, on top of. So now, you know, now I've got four or five different streams of revenue coming in every day. And if... You know, if I lost one of them, it would still be a financial hit, but at the same time, it would, it's not as much of a hit as this, say, if you were working at a job and you just lost your job and that was your sole source of income. It, it really takes a lot of that pressure off and it allows you in some ways, I think the freedom to let your mind create, be creative, to find other ways to be uh, you know, more entrepreneurial. I think all of those things are good. And, and. I think what one of the things that I missed early on was that I could have had a base in real estate and utilize that base to leverage not only more real estate and, and grow wealth in that way, but also to take off some of the pressure so that I could then be freer to uh, diversify in other realms as well. Uh, am I wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And you see, you're talking about multiple streams of income, incredibly important. And Jim Rohn is famous for saying, work full-time on your job and part-time on your future fortune. And that is something you could do. He was promoting multi-level marketing. 
of nutritional supplements, fine, that's a, that's a revenue, or it could be something completely different, some other sort of investment to which I would point you towards real estate. You need multiple streams of accounting. You need multiple accounts to handle your multiple streams of income and your future fortune. I think a plan that you can enact today, no matter how much money you've got, your mindset, you know your mindset is far more important than your money status today because your mindset, your money mindset today will indicate where your future fortune is going to look like. How small you think will equal your, your small future fortune. So obviously the converse is true. But what we discovered in business of having a business and concurrently having a real estate business, meaning our investment portfolio, you must have multiple accounts. We recommend having a savings account. This is your rainy day account. Have that savings set aside. In addition to a checking account for your general monthly use, in addition to an investment savings account, which is going towards your future fortune, be it 10%, like the richest man in Babylon recommended, George Clayson, 10% of all you earn should be put aside to earn more and your gold should have children and so on. Uh, so that's your investment account. And then your tax account. Become a happy taxpayer by setting that aside. It ain't yours. It's Uncle Sam's. And when it comes due, you can take it from that account and you feel good. You get to fund whatever it is you want. Maybe you want to fund the military. Maybe you want to fund a social service program or whatever in your mind. That's where that check is going, and then you become a happy taxpayer, and you can build your own fortune in your own backyard using leverage with these appropriate streams of accounting and multiple streams of income. So I'm assuming that's the starting point, right? You're suggesting people set up these, was that five different accounts or four different absolutely. accounts? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And coming back to the idea, can you save your way to a fortune? No. And yet, hmm, that's funny. I've, I've mentioned two different savings accounts minimum you should have because without the ability to save, you probably will not be able to, to incur a couple of setbacks. The first sign of, of rain and you got a hole in your tank, if you can't afford to fix it, if you haven't set something aside to fix the roof, replace a hot water heater, uh, call in a plumber when necessary or whatever, then it could take you it could destabilize you to a point where you yeah you look like svb and you're upside down so you right. need to be able to save have those different accounts well and attack this like a business yeah well i would say that the addendum is you can't save your way to a fortune but you can save your way to being able to invest in a fortune right i mean that's that's the thing yeah. you, ha you have to yeah. be able to have that mindset to be able to save some to put it away and then every month yeah. to uh to then, you know, you have the emergency fund, but then have another growing account that you can then leverage out. So that's the first step, setting up your four separate accounts, deciding how much is going into each, what you're doing, you know, watch your spending, obviously, those kind of things, have your tax burden taken care of. Because I there's nothing more there's nothing more stressful than worrying about you're going to do your I mean, we're coming up on right tax season. We're, we're what, 25 days away from tax day. And so a lot of people are stressed out like, oh, it's the like if you've already got the money set aside, it's now it's peace of mind. You just got to get the paperwork done and it's all done. So it, it takes off. That. I, I, yeah, I was sitting with a, with a young guy, wanted to become an investor, had a really good job at the kind of job where you're an independent contractor and you're just paid gross wages and then it's up to you to set aside for your own taxation and so forth and so he's telling me very proudly and he ought to be incredibly proud of how much he had saved in that particular year and i said now 
tell me about your tax account. How much do you have set aside in your tax account? He goes, well, it's all in one account. And I said, kind of looked at him, he looked back at me, he goes, okay, so I really don't have as much saved as I thought. And he said, immediately go open a tax account, move it out, and you, you'll feel completely different. If you just said, come April 17th, whatever it is now, uh, you, you're just going to feel on top of the world and ahead of the game. But having these these accounts set up now, even if you've only funded them with the minimum that the bank requires, I don't know, it's a hundred bucks, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get it started, create the routine, create the habit. And as you go, so shall you grow with your accounts and your ability. And the other thing I recommend immediately, if you if you agree with me that the millionaire mountain is what you want to climb, go get pre-qualified. If it's been a while, you own your own home or one or two, whatever, and you haven't borrowed or taken a mortgage out in a while, go find a mortgage lender you know, like, and trust, get re-pre-qualified, find out where your credit's at, find out where your lendability is, what programs are available to you, and then from there, you're off to the races. Okay, so set up the accounts. Well, I'm walking us through this here. Set up the accounts, get everything squared away monetarily in your in your mind and in your in physicality with the with the bank accounts. Go get pre-qualified from a mortgage lender, mortgage broker, whatever, so you know what you have available to you. And uh, then what's the next step? Get um get a copy of my my free guide, The Millionaire Maker. There's six steps to your first four homes, but it all I'm spoiler alert starts with your mindset um but there there's six practical steps there uh to to include thinking how you think think and you shall grow rich uh that's all baked into it but the millionaire guide's totally free and all you have to do is text me your email address at 299-7653 and i'll send it to you and um yeah so i, I sincerely mean it that those simple little things and when you begin to think about yourself as an investor and you 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 will going to look at yourself differently, think about yourself differently, and comport yourself differently in every walk of your life. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize um, you're a better employee. You're a better business owner. You're a better um, person all around when you start thinking about the control you've actually got in this uncertain time, the control you have in your own backyard. This is America, the land of the free. We actually have the opportunity to own as much of our hometown as our backyard as we want to. And we just have to play the game. The rules are set up and you can play to win or you can play not to lose. But I suggest if you want to climb Millionaire Mountain, you play to win. All right, Chris Story, again, set up your four bank accounts, uh, get yourself pre-qualified and then get a copy of his uh, free little pamphlet guide booklet, uh, The uh, Millionaire Maker, 907-299-7653. Did I get that right? You got it, man. Just okay. text me your email address and I'll send it to you. Text the email address to Chris and he'll send you a copy of his little free uh, booklet. And, of course, I recommend picking up The Backyard Millionaire, uh, available at ilovehomeralaska.com, also available on audible.com, read by some guy from Alaska. Um, so it's The Voice. They call him The Voice. They call him The Voice. Um, great book. It's a great book. It really spurred a lot of my interest in uh, – in, uh, you know, diversifying even more in my life and, uh, you know, getting into real estate and doing some of those things, because that's what builds really true wealth. And it's it is I saw an article the other day that talked about how real estate was the basically the middle income wealth builder. That's what it was. It was for folks who are in a middle income. It is their wealth building device. And uh, I thought that, that was pretty appropriate there. 
Um, uh, Chris, final thoughts. Anybody who you see that, that lands a huge sale, they sell their dot-com, they sell their business, they win the lottery, the first thing they do, even Charles Ponzi, of which all schemes from then on have been named after, first thing they do with their either ill-gotten gain or, or really earned gain is invest in real estate because that is the number one place to keep and grow wealth and the safest investment of all. Chris Story, the man from Homer. We appreciate you uh, coming on board. We got, uh, we we got, we we love talking to you about it. All right, uh, we'll be Thank back. You, uh, we'll be back. Hold the line, Chris. Back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. I guess we'll open up the phone lines in the final segment. You guys can sound off on anything you want to talk about. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Chris Story is our guest. Um, I don't know how many of you got something out of that, but I sure did. I uh, I enjoyed that conversation. Chris, um, thanks. I mean, you know, I think every now and then we should just have like a real estate corner with the latest trends or whatever's going on for those people out there who want to try and, uh, uh, you know, diversify and grow their own wealth. I mean, I think that's a I think that's a positive. Absolutely. Yeah, no, happy to do it anytime or questions come in or people want to call in with questions or what have you. There's there's really no other way to look at it other than, as you said, it's it's the middle uh, middle class millionaire maker. That's the it's the way to do it. Again, growing a business and building a business. Just don't mistake your business for big business, as Robert Kiyosaki calls it. Like there's business, a small business, and then there's uh, big business. And if you don't have a big business, you have a job, and that's wonderful. That's great. But you want to have a secondary business in your your real estate. So usually when I'm coaching or counseling with people that are thinking about buying a piece of real estate for their company or for their business, it's like, okay, let's differentiate. You have a business and then you have your real estate business and they are distinctly different. Yeah. Well, and what do you say to people who just say, well, I just, I can't, I don't have enough money. I can't, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you say to, I mean, and there's some people who probably have very little, and maybe they've got enough just to cover one month's expenses or something like that or less. What do you say to them? I like to share share stories about, you know, people that have started with even less than that and, and made it. There are incredible, in the backyard millionaire, I tell a story about um, nothing down. That It literally is something that you can do with no money down. Again, I like you to have the savings because I want you to have the, the fallback, um, but at the same time, or the ability to fall back, a safety, your own safety net, that's important, but... Um, you don't have to have a lot. We do deals sometimes. Okay, I'd tell you about a story I'd love to share. Tiffany and I bought a home, and we walked away from the closing table with a check. We bought a home, nothing down. It was an incredible rental. Turned out to be a wonderful rental. We were told by experts we were paying too much, and we knew we weren't. We saw the growth. We saw the potential. We were told by our property manager, oh, I think I can get you approximately $100 a month less than your payment. We didn't believe it. And we asked for more and got more. 
And so there are times where you can walk away with your earnest money and negotiate for zero down. It happens all the time. You have to get, you get to be creative in real estate. You get to have inside information and use it about your community or an upcoming situation. We were able to help about three years ago, a family pre-foreclosure. We were able to go in and help them. We acquired it at an incredible price for us. And yet they walked away with money in their pocket versus a seven to 10 year black mark on their credit and the ramifications and trauma of a foreclosure. And so these deals are out there. They are out there to be found. You've got to make them. They're rarely lying on the side of the road. <laughs> you have to go make them. But there's there's really no prerequisite of a certain dollar amount you have to have. I, I once I told a story on my podcast, The Backyard Millionaire. I think it's episode one or two, wherever podcasts are downloaded. Mm-hmm. And it's about going to an investor, uh, a, a uh, stockbroker, who really just wanted me to be you know, he really wanted to invest my money for me. And I said, okay, tell you what, I'll give you 10 grand. Let's see what you can do with that. Oh, eh, no thanks. And I tell the story in that podcast about what we did with that 10,000 bucks and what it's still doing for us today. And spoiler alert, we used it in real estate. Which seems like it did very well. Yeah. Which seems like a, a good deal. Um, I, uh, I'm excited to hear to to find out more to have more people learn about these kind of things and again be able to take their middle income and use use it to uh, to generate wealth in the long term. Especially those of us that don't have enough retirement money, um, you know, socked aside at that you know at our late ages, it's a good idea to you got to get started now, right? Um, you told yeah, me, and and it could be generational. Yeah. No, you could pass that on. Uh, you told me a story of somebody who got started when they were like 54 or something. And, and next yep. thing, you know, next 55. thing, you know, yeah, 55. Next thing you know, they were they were doing OK. <clears throat> it took some time, but they were doing OK. So we're worth hundreds of millions by the time I met him at his 85th birthday. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, Chris Story, thank you so much, my friend. As always, I appreciate it. And uh, I, I appreciate you coming on board and uh, joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Uh, Okay, Uh, let's uh, get back to it. I suppose I need to um, I need to uh, uh, to do it. Harold says being an opportunist is always man. You are just such a ray of sunshine, man. Such a I suppose he could have just let them be foreclosed on and walk away with nothing uh, and a and a foreclosure on their credit score. I suppose that would have been okay. Um, but you know, that's fine. That, that, that works out here. I'm sure that's what you would have done, right? You would have just walked away. You had the opportunity. You could have helped them. They could have helped you. Everybody could have had something, but I'm sure that's probably what you would have done and just walked away and let them lose it all. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, the Michael Duke show. Okay, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. 
Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, Hour two of the big radio broadcast. We are getting ready to uh, we're getting ready to uh, take some phone calls from you. I figured that's what we would do. We would open up the phone lines and see what you have to say because sure, why not? We got we got stuff to do. We got we got stuff stuff and things, Lori. Stuff and thing that's a walking dead reference for those of you who don't know. It's one of my favorite I say it to my wife, she just rolls her eyes. I don't know why. Why would you roll your eyes? It was the perfect it was the perfect answer. Uh, all right, so phone line is uh, phone lines are open 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. Again, special thanks to the folks over there at Satellite West for sponsoring the program and allowing us to uh, all hang out here and uh, and do it together. We got two lines on hold. Let's go over to them right now. See what they have to say. We start off over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Randy, what's on your mind, sir? Oh, I just wanted to let you know, let anyone else know, that I, my letter to the editor that I submitted to the Fairbanks Daily News Miner appeared in today's News Miner, Tuesday, March 28th. And it is simply asking the question, yeah, well, I'll just read one paragraph of my letter. Uh, it says, my question is, does anyone know of a person who paid into Social Security all their working life but when they became old, they decided not to take SS payments. Anyway, I go on to say that I, you know, uh, think it's good for me to listen to a, a counterpoint of view because I told in my letter that I do plan to take Social Security soon, uh, since I'm 68, and it would be about nearly $3,000 a month, so uh, IRS would tax some of that. But uh, I give my mailing address. In the letter I submitted, by the way, I also had my email address, but they didn't print that. But anyway, at least got my post office box. So uh, I guess I'm still looking for such a person who uh, paid into Social Security all their life but did not uh, take it. And I'd like to hear their point of view, though I said, as I said in my letter, I'm not likely to be dissuaded from taking Social Security, but I just think I, it's important to listen. To I guess I guess my question to you, Randy, is why ask? I mean, that's your money, right? You put it in, you put it in, this is you taking it back out. Why would you ask, some, especially unless you're independently wealthy right now and could live on, you know, whatever, either, you know, what you're not, what you're making in your job or when you quit, unless you could do it. Why would you even ask whether or not, or ask yourself the question, why Why wouldn't you take it? It's your money. Uh, to answer that question, I'd probably have to be some kind of psychiatrist or something analyzing my own self, <laughs> I just got a little tiny voice in my in my in my mind that is slightly has is slightly uncomfortable about this whole thing. I guess it's because for years and you know, I've always sent my PFD back, and 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 I'm used to sending government money back back that they try to send me. You know, I sent back the economic impact payment that they tried to send me, but I, I see that this is different because, like you said, I paid into it. I paid a total of $150,000, and I mentioned that in my letter, I paid a total of $150,000 through my whole working career. That includes my con- my payment and plus the employer's matching contribution that equals $150,000, all based on my labor. You know, So I paid that much, so at least I ought to be able to get that much out of it. And then I also had made a calculation, which I sent to the 
to the paper, but they didn't print my calculation. You know, I, I re, I, one time I called you and I said, well, 3% quarterly, you know, what would that money amount to? But I recalculated it 4% compounded annually. And I came up with a figure of $418,000. They didn't print that, but they just printed the 150,000 that I put in there. But, uh, so, so, so in answer to your question, I'm just trying to psych myself up to, uh, to, to apply for this, and, 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 I'm, and I'm planning to apply for it, and I'm sure I will apply for it, but I just want to go through all the steps. Right. I just don't know why you'd psych yourself up for it. I mean, it's your money. You might as well take it. You might as well get it. And uh, 68, you're not getting any younger. You might as well start taking it now. Uh, you know, if you get another 10 or 12 years out of you, you're doing a pretty good uh, You're doing a pretty good job, and it will make your life a little easier. I, I Again, I don't know why you're even thinking about it. Thanks for your call, Randy. We'll see if anybody else has comments on that. Let's move ahead. 907-433-3150. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Carlene in Kodiak. Hello, Carlene. Hello. In response to Brad Keithley's talk this morning about the comprehensive plan of the, our state revenue problem, the legislators have put up there that perhaps a 2% state sales tax. Kodiak has a 7% sales tax. Add 2% to that. Everything we buy would cost 9% more. So that's just a thought. And then about the stress problem that's been on the town hall news for a couple of days, and I didn't know if anybody got it. What that's about is personal debt, credit card debt. And um, it, it was $16.5 trillion. I, I've watched these DVDs, and then when I heard Anna Barrett on the Christian Financial Concepts show, it is $17 trillion credit card debt, which Alaskans are hurting, and we're the highest credit card debt in the nation. Right. And what people think is that their credit cards are income since they only have to pay the interest. But in reality, when they buy one item, they eventually pay 2.5 times more, 250% more for that item. Right. And so it's hurting the poor, and the best thing is just to cut up those credit cards um, because yeah. what they're doing is other people's money. They're spending other people's money. Yeah, I saw, I saw, then, I saw a statistic about 20 years ago that said the average American was spending – a hundred and seven percent of their income being financed by, you know, uh, court like credit cards, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, and I thought a hundred and seven percent of your income, if you did that for ten years, you're in deep trouble. And uh, and a lot of people are stuck in that kind of cycle. It's a tough, tough thing. That's why being debt free feels so good. Yes, and then the opposite of that is Chris Story's story that he makes um, incremental steps baby steps of wise choices yeah. that get you to that backyard millionaire. Absolutely. Um, no, Chris does a good job. Carlene, I appreciate it. I got to go here. I got, I think I got time for one more call. Let me go over here real quick. See what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlton Fairbanks. You had two guests on this morning that described what they think 
should be, and that is not a positive situation. You're going to call it semantics. Only normative economics, like Adam Smith, uses that term, things should be this way. It, it crosses up in your mind to uh, confuse the positive and normative uh, conditions. Uh, that's my point. All right. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Um, 30 seconds. Do you have a comment, guest, before I go? Good morning. Good morning. This is Bubba, North Pole. Bubba, what's Just up? A really quick question. Yeah. Randy has a hard time figuring out if he wants to take a Social Security or not. I still cannot, for the life of me, understand why he doesn't like the permanent fund dividend. Why does he apply for the permanent fund dividend so that he can send it back? I do not understand that. I don't understand that, and I don't understand his hesitation in taking the Social Security either. I'm with you on that, Bubba. Folks, we got to go. Tomorrow is Wednesday. Mike Shower should be joining us. Be kind, love one another, live well. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, folks. Well, we gotta go. We gotta go. Um, we are out of time for today. Yeah, he should have taken it at 62 and invested it, and he'd have more disposable income. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. All right. Uh, it's been interesting, and we will continue tomorrow. Thank you for being part of it. Like and share. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. We will see you tomorrow on The Michael Duke Show. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show